Coming up on Tech News Weekly, it's me, Jason Howell, my co-host, Micah Sargent. And we've got a show for you today, starting with Emergency SOS via satellite. This is actually a feature that's coming to iPhone 14 and 14 Pro. Dan Morin from Six Colors has all the details on that. Uh, I talk a little bit about Qualcomm's announcement, not of their Snapdragon processor coming to flagship Android smartphones, but of their next-gen augmented reality chip, the Snapdragon AR2 Gen 1, and what that might mean for augmented reality going forward. ID.me facing serious heat from the House Committee due to baseless unemployment fraud claims. A lot of stuff going on there. And finally, Devendra Hardwar uh, from Engadget. He's a legacy Evernote user, but the new owner has him questioning his allegiance. And I gotta admit, it has me doing the same thing. All that and more coming up next on Tech News Weekly. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Tech News Weekly, episode 261, recorded Thursday, November 17th, 2022. This episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter makes it easy to hire for even the most specific role like a mascot in Missouri. In fact, four out of five employers find a quality candidate within the first day. Try it free today at ZipRecruiter.com slash TNW. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And by Code Comments, an original podcast from Red Hat that lets you listen in on two experienced technologists as they describe their building process and what they've learned from their experiences. Search for Code Comments in your podcast player. And by Podium. Join more than 100,000 businesses that already use Podium to streamline their customer interactions. See how Podium can grow your business. Watch a demo today at podium.com slash twit. Hello and welcome to Tech News Weekly, the show where every week we talk to and about the people making and breaking the tech news. I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent, and he's and back. I'm the other guy, Jason Howell. Big Thank you, huge thank you to Aunt Pruitt who filled in for me last week on such short notice. I was not feeling well at all. You did not want me being all achy on the show all for that hour. So thank you for covering for me. Did people <laughs> um, send you well wishes? Because I told them to. Uh, I yeah, certainly. I, I I heard from some people on Twitter saying, "Hey, I yeah. hope you feel better and everything." I was like, "Man, did I have I been tweeting out a storm about the, the flu?" So <laughs> I was I very was vague, effective. but I said you were under the weather. So uh, yeah, hopefully people said, <laughs> "Yeah, I did get Good. some well wishes." Thank you, Mike. I appreciated that. I needed that support. I'm glad to hear that. Well, uh, let us get this show underway with our first interview. Up first, it is time to talk about those little devices that fly around in the sky at apparently 16,000 miles per hour. And uh, at least if you've got the latest and greatest iPhones, we'll also be there to help you in a pinch. Joining us today to talk about Apple's new emergency SOS via satellite feature is Dan Morin of SixColors.com. Welcome back to the show, Dan. It's good to be here, Mike. I thought you were talking about Santa's sleigh flying around up there at 16 miles an hour. But I guess, you know, I guess I was wrong. You know that maybe next Apple's going to do its own Santa tracker and uh, take on the, uh, who is it that does it right now? Some NORAD. NORAD, that's right. The North American Really Awesome (laughs) Dudes. Nailed it. Nailed it. (laughs) Yay. Okay, let's talk about emergency SOS via satellite. So first and foremost, this is an iPhone 14 exclusive feature. Uh, If you do have an older iPhone, this won't be something that you can use, but Apple just rolled this out. Can you tell us kind of the base understanding of what this feature is uh, and what people can expect? Sure. Yeah, this is one of those safety features that Apple spent a lot of time talking about in its iPhone presentation back in September. And the gist of it is that if you are someplace where you don't have cell coverage or Wi-Fi, say you're out hiking in a national park or something and you get into trouble and you need to be able to reach out to emergency services, this is a way for you to do that without having access to that infrastructure. So it essentially uses a constellation of satellites overhead to enable the sending of this emergency message to the services that are in the area where you are so that you you know people can be dispatched to come and help you uh, if you get into an accident or have some other problems. So it's generally just sort of this safety net idea of 
hey, uh, you're in a place where you can't get cell coverage or cell coverage is spotty, uh, you can still call for help if an emergency happens. Got it. So I can't just use this to text with someone in a place where I'm not. I don't have Internet connection. I'm afraid calling somebody and asking where your delivery food is is not an emergency, Micah. So you can't just use this wherever you are. No, this is really designed for those few cases where you don't have any other way to contact an emergency, you know, dial 911 or something like that. Now, this is also... Um Along with being an emergency service feature, which we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, uh, it's also my understanding that it works with the Find My network. Um, at what point does that factor into it? When will someone be able to share their location via satellite? Yeah, this is one of those things where you can do this via the Find My app. Um, and essentially, that is a little more ability. Like, you can do that a little bit more when you're off the grid. Um, you can swipe up in the My Location tab and do a... There's a button now that says Send My Location. Um, this enables you to basically have your, your geographic coordinates relayed via satellite. Um, and that's available, you know, without going through the emergency services part of the deal. So that's, you know, if a case where it's like, hey, I'm, I'm out on this hike. Um, you know, I'm not in an emergency now, but I'd like somebody back home to know where I am, even though, uh, you know, I, I don't have cell service or what have you. And it's a quick way to sort of reassure people. Um, and my understanding is I think you can do that once every 15 minutes. There is a limit in terms of how often you can update it. So it's not like the current God. Find My features where it's like constantly updating via satellite. Ah, OK. That's good to know because, um, yeah, I was kind of curious in terms of, of whenever we're using GPS and the, the various uh, methods that we have right now for sharing your location, uh, how often someone can like they can look and look at the map and it just right, keeps moving right. you along. But this will take a little bit longer to, to update. That makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, the one of the big things that Apple talked about when they first announced this feature was the sort of bandwidth constraints that are in place mm -hmm. when it comes to satellite communication and also the speed constraints when it comes to satellite sure. communication. Um, so they've worked out some ways to go about kind of streamlining the process to make sure that the most information is delivered as soon as it can be. Can you talk a little bit about what Apple did there, what it's doing there so that uh, as much information gets to where it needs to go? Yeah, so uh, rather than having you compose a lengthy text message that explains the situation you're in, instead they're providing sort of a wizard where it like, you know, walks you through step by step, hey, what's your what's your emergency? Like what's your location? Um it can grab your coordinates like but it really does this thing where it sort of steps you through the whole process uh so it knows how to direct that in, that, you know, information to the emergency services and be able to give them all the information possible uh rather than you having to like spend a lengthy amount of time going back and forth, right? As Satellite communication is very slow, as you said. So this allows to just sort of prep a whole bunch of stuff ahead of time and then send it as like a like a one-time thing full of information rather than, you know, it's not like going back and forth on, you know, Twitter DMs with customer service. You're not going to be typing your answers, waiting for them to respond, and then typing more <laughs> answers. It tries to do it all up front to, to really maximize the amount of time. Yeah, I was able to actually, uh, they have included a demo so that people, yeah. I assume they, they don't want people trying it uh, actually just yeah, to see how it works. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a good way to also familiarize yourself if you are in, a, in right. an emergency, you kind of don't want that to be the first time that you're doing it. Uh, yep. So I thought that was a pretty clever thing to do. But uh, this whole thing exists because of apple um working with a uh, i think i think ultimately it's a larger group but the the main focus that the company uh has has put its money and attention on is global star um yeah. can you talk a little bit about you know the investment there what apple and global star are doing and uh what what the technology is behind this yeah. this emergency sos Right. Yeah. So the, the Apple has basically a fund of, of money that it uses to basically bolster up critical infrastructure. So in this case, they've spent $450 million invested into Global Star. Uh, and Global Star is one of these companies that basically has all of the infrastructure available for satellites. And, and obviously, not only do you need satellites that are out there, you know, floating around in space um, that cover all the places where you're likely to be, but you also need the facilities on the ground. And we're seeing a lovely video here 
here, if you're watching on video, of the sort of receiving stations on the ground that let them receive these uh, uh, satellite signals. Um, and so a big part of this, obviously, is in investing in the infrastructure here so that there is a satellite coverage around the world uh, in various places. And um, yeah, Global Star is in the U.S. Uh, and sort of the biggest company in the U.S. that's doing this. Yeah, so that was actually... Um, one of the interesting things to me and one that I was the most curious about uh, is the way that Apple is sort of trying to handle the logistics of uh, getting emergency information to where it needs to go. Because mm -hmm. as it stands, there are several, what do they call them? Um, I think they call them, is it peace? PSAPs, uh, which is public safety answering points. Um, there are many in the U.S. and elsewhere that do support text messages uh, so that mm -hmm. those those messages from this service can go to them. But there are some that don't. So what does Apple do in the case of a PSAP uh, that needs to be able to uh, talk over the phone whenever the satellite service doesn't let you do that? Right, right. So as you say, the satellite service doesn't do voice communication, only does text. So in the cases where there's a uh, emergency call center that doesn't take texts, Apple has set up this network of relay stations where essentially um, the text will be received and then the people uh, working at the relay stations can call the or, you know, have a line to the emergency services in the relevant area and relay the information from the text to them. So it's, you know, in some ways, a very low tech solution, right, is just like have people who can then call up the emergency services and relay, hey, I got this text message from somebody. They're in trouble and here's the coordinates, etc. Um, but, you know, having the ability to build out that infrastructure really makes it accessible to the most number of places, which I think is a uh, a big part of what makes this feature actually practical. Yeah, this uh, it is funny how you're, you know, you, you point out that it's sort of a low tech answer, uh, but you, you do what you can and they've got that training in place to make this happen. Um, do we have any information about what uh, the future of this emergency SOS via satellite uh, looks like? Because it's my understanding that everybody who buys an iPhone 14 model, uh, and I'm sure then after that future iPhones, uh, will get two years of free right. service. Um, if you did have an iPhone 14 model before uh, this rolled out, then it starts from the point that it rolled out. Are we going to be paying for it afterward? And do we know anything about how much it's going to cost at that point? We don't really know what it's going to cost. Um, so currently, it's also available only in the U.S. and Canada. It is rolling out next month in France, Germany, Ireland, and the U.K. Um, as you said, two years are free. Apple hasn't said anything about what this runs. There are other uh, competing services uh, Garmin has one, uh, I believe, called InReach, um, which is sort of a similar idea of having a satellite network that's available. Uh, and they offer subscription plans that, you know, cost uh, a certain amount of money. I don't know how much it is up front, but, it, you know, it is, you know, certainly something that's targeted more at people who might be specifically looking for this, people who spend a lot of time outdoors. I think their run rate is something like 15 bucks a month or something. So, you know, you could do worse than assuming that. I kind of wonder two years in if Apple's going to want to say, hey, we've got this great feature that can save your life, but only if you pay us. Um, and so <laughs> I think it's part of the reason maybe they're being hesitant about sharing exact prices and exact timelines for when this is going to be uh, a subscription plan. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, uh, of course, we will continue to, uh, I'm sure, hear about different folks who are using this uh, in unfortunate situations. Uh, the hope, of course, is that no one ends up needing to use this, but it is good to know uh, that these features are here. Dan Morin, thank you for your time today joining us to talk about emergency SOS via satellite. Of course, folks can head over to sixcolors.com if they want to check out your tech writing, but uh, anywhere else they should go to follow along with your work. Sure. Uh, you can find all my stuff over at dmorin.com, which is my website. And I'm on social media at dmorin, whether that's Instagram, Twitter for the moment. Uh, and I think I'm dmorin at mastodon.social over on Mastodon. So one of those places is a good, good choice. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Dan. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Dan, or at dmorin or whatever you are all over the web. <laughs>
<laughs> Mastodon's so confusing. Like, it's really hard to, like, throw out the Mastodon ID to people and be like, oh, yeah, I get it. I get how to connect with you there. I guess we'll get used to it over time. Uh, coming up next, Qualcomm has designs on what next-generation AR glasses might offer. Some really interesting stuff. We're going to dive into that as my story of the week, and then my interview is going to come later in the show. But first, this episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. We love ZipRecruiter. They've been with us with Twit for such a long time. We've actually used ZipRecruiter many times to hire the awesome people that work uh, with us. Are you hiring someone who needs to wear many hats? Maybe that's you, or maybe you're hiring for a simple role even, but it's taking forever to find someone who's a great fit for that role. Finding someone to wear many hats or one very specific hat is no easy task. So whether you're hiring a civil engineer in New York, maybe a pediatric nurse in Nebraska, an attorney in Colorado, uh, maybe even a mascot. Aren't we always looking for a mascot to hire in Missouri? I mean, tell me, tell me how you really feel about that. ZipRecruiter helps you find qualified candidates fast from accountant to zoologist and everything in between ZipRecruiter's matching technology finds people with the right experience for whatever that job is. If it's many hats or just one, you're going to find them with ZipRecruiter. Then you can invite your top choices to apply with a single click. It's really very easy. And four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day, even if they happen to be looking for a mascot in Missouri. Try it for free today at ZipRecruiter.com slash TNW and uh, check it out for yourself. I mean, it's going to make your life so much easier. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash TNW. Make sure and use that URL so they know you heard about it on Tech News Weekly. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire and it's going to find you your next hire. So check it out for yourself. ZipRecruiter.com slash TNW. All right. So earlier this week, Qualcomm held its Snapdragon Summit. This is where basically the company showcases its next year or maybe a little bit further into the future, but definitely its next year of processors, its next gen technologies, its chips. So, of course, they showed off what I'm used to waiting for because Qualcomm has such a presence in the Android uh, ecosystem as far as powering some of the top tier smartphones and medium tier. You know, they've got they've got other processors that fill in the medium uh, range and the low range, but especially the top tier. We're so used to seeing these Android smartphones packing the Snapdragon, whatever the latest Snapdragon is. And they did show off the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2. So, you know, we talked a little bit about this on All About Android on Tuesday. If you're interested in, in what that entails, that, you know, it's always like bigger, better, faster when it comes to these uh, smartphone uh SOCs. Uh, you can check that out on All About Android. But I didn't want to focus that uh, on that specifically with my story of the week because Qualcomm also showed off its designs for augmented reality. And this is maybe a little bit different than what we're, you know, what we're used to seeing from Qualcomm. This certainly isn't the first time that they've focused a chip on mixed reality and extended reality, but this is the Snapdragon AR2 platform Gen 1, which is an upgrade from their previous Snapdragon XR2 Gen 1, and then they had the XR2 Plus Gen 1. And as the name indicates, right, the big difference there, this one is designed specifically for augmented reality top to bottom. And a lot of people, you know, when we were talking about VR, we're talking about mixed reality, AR, you know, so many people side on one side or the other. I really feel like um, more often than not, it seems like people are see a lot more uh, tangible benefit from augmented reality than they do from virtual reality uh, on a wider scale. So that's why this chip might actually end up being, you know, somewhat important as we go forward. It's optimized for multi-chip distributed processing, uh, they say it delivers 2.5 times better AI performance over XR2 Gen 1, consumes 50% less power. And that's actually really important when you think about these glasses that are in the future, uh, you know, that, that do all of these things. You want something that is very power efficient, consumes less power, um, but is very capable so that we can shrink these things down and get, you know, hopefully the, the, the view is that at some point we're wearing just regular glasses and they have all this augmented information in there. We're not there yet. 
but that's definitely the direction uh, that Qualcomm is heading in. And we've seen some, you know, some solutions in the past uh, number of years that have gotten us closer, but we're definitely not there yet. Well, this processor is meant to pull in data from a number of different sensors and sources on the glasses hardware. So things like eye tracking, which we're starting to see arrive big time in VR technology right now. Um, Iris authentication for foveated rendering. That's really important so that when we look around... When we look around our environment, we can see kind of the distance, you know, where, where is our eye focusing? How does that, uh, you know, uh, extend out from a perspective based on the things that are behind it, in front of it, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so this chip is really designed with those things in mind. It manages power consumption by focusing its processing only where the user happens to be looking at actively. So that's one way that it's managing its power. It also supports Wi-Fi 7. Uh, and has two milliseconds of latency. That's so that when the glasses connect to like a smartphone, you know, for, for, you know, off device, uh, processing of information, uh, the handoff and the, the data transfer in between isn't so laggy that things, you know, fall behind. Things can be, you know, more or less in real time, hopefully the best case scenario. And then uh, of course, shrinking the size of the PCB by 40%, which again goes back to what I was talking about, really getting this to a point to where we can have these uh, AR wearables that we throw on our face and it doesn't look like we're wearing a wearable. And I think that's, you know, right now, and I don't know how far into the future we have to get before we get out of that paradigm of like, okay, it really looks like you're wearing a piece of technology on your face. I feel like that's a huge component here and something that's going to take a while to figure out, but is incredibly important. What are your thoughts on that, Micah? Yeah, I think we are a ways out from that. I have not seen, we, we keep seeing these different concepts, uh, these these design ideas, these prototypes, these reference designs that are still very much, um, you know, strapping a bunch of hardware to your face. <laughs> and it is clear that that's what they are and it's clear that that's what they're doing and i don't think we uh, be, because i think there are two ways this goes one is that we continue to try to make this in a way where um people don't necessarily recognize that what you've got is tech on your face because yeah. that's the the sort of civilizations uh society's you know way of going or the alternative is how we see on some um, some sci-fi films from you know fifty hundred years down the, the <laughs> way, where everybody's wearing this stuff because we all know that that's what it is, and everybody's just using it, so it's fine. We're not in that adoption stage where everybody is kind of on board with this or thinks that no. it's necessary. So I don't really see. I think that. This this becomes a challenge is it does need to blend in and because it needs to blend in, it provides such a challenge um, and such a, a, a jump in the technology that's available that we just continue to not be there. And yeah. it's not often that you see um, culture kind of shape itself around a technology, it tends to be the other way around. The technology tries to shape itself to the culture. Uh, I think the one area where I uh, have seen culture shape to the tech is around um, AirPods and AirPods-like devices where we've got these little stems in our ears and nobody really bats an eye anymore. It used to be that, you know, if you had those little Bluetooth headset things, um, you looked I mean, the word would be dorky. It looked kind of dorky. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. But but because now it was not. People, it was not normal. Yeah, it was, it was not, not normal to right. see that. But it was yeah. you know. Oh, that guy or gal probably works for Wall Street and is getting calls all yeah. the time or whatever. And uh, yeah. it was just kind of goofy. Um, yeah. But with with. So, you know, you go around now and you see people with AirPods in their ears or again, so it doesn't have to be Apple's specific brand, any sort of little stems in their ears. And there's not as much. And so now they can just make a very good uh, wire, true wireless headset and 
or earbud, I guess. And it doesn't necessarily have to shape itself to be covert. Um, whereas yeah. I do think that's the case still for this technology. And there's almost this like struggle back and forth where uh, these companies want it to happen where they're like, you know mm. what? You, you are just going, we're just going to make it how we can and you will just like it or not. And that's fine. But that's always going to reduce the number of people who are willing to be that goofy person uh, who's the dad that has the cell phone holster on his belt <laughs> who's walking around <laughs> ready ready for the call whenever it comes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's The device has not made itself, has not transitioned into the fabric of life. As you exactly. were talking about like devices, like uh, I, I was thinking of the smartphone and that, that seems to be the one device that I can't quite put my finger on whether it came to service a need or the need like uh, summoned the device itself like i can't i can't tell which is at the which is at the heart of that because they both intertwine themselves so deeply uh and i mean with smartphones just everybody has one that is definitely the part of the fabric of life in today's day and age um smart technology on your face i feel like it's such a ways off like i i, I almost wonder mm -hmm. if 10 years is too soon you know what i mean it's, i i think this, it might be yeah. this this stuff needs to be so miniaturized and so honed and and perfected i mean obviously and, and but at the same time it also needs to start somewhere yeah and it does that's kind but, of where um, we are the problem is not only does it need to be all of those things it also needs to be incredibly useful and yeah, nothing useful, right. i have not seen anything that proves that out i've not yeah. there's not one thing uh that is ar vr where it's it i go i absolutely have to have this because it's so much better than what i have right now so they've yeah. just got so many challenges i it that's what makes it kind of fascinating that there's almost a level <laughs> we're talking about putting on goggles it's like the the tech and industry is a bit putting on uh horse blinders and mm. they're just in uh, some sort of supreme denial uh they want to which, prove so badly that yeah it, that, that this is the future yeah. and as a, a person who is a tech enthusiast i'm so glad that they all have these blinders on and that they continue to try to make it happen because i do uh, the the future uh, you know is just um I was showing uh, Star Trek Picard to my partner uh, yesterday and I, you know, I'd seen the episodes before, but I, because I had seen them before, I got to focus more on kind of the, you know, make of the show and uh, Picard sits down at a desk and up just from the, the desk comes this L cars um, screen, the, which is the, the system that, Star Trek has, but the point is it's, you know, a holographic display and it's a little goofy. They're like, I'm twisting my hands and I'm doing this and blah, blah, blah. But the idea that anything in front of us can be a screen, mm. I'm so down with that idea. I love that idea. I just don't think that enough people are, they, they, they need that or whatever. So yeah, I, I'm of mixed sort of opinions about it. I'm glad that the companies kind of go, la, 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 la. We're going to continue to try to make this happen because we think it's going to be great. Um, even though we, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if people are going to, going to be that into it for yeah, a while. Yeah. <laughs> well, Niantic is uh, one of the examples of uh, companies that are really driven to kind of show what they believe hardware like this could become. They actually showed off uh, their own kind of prototype running off of the Snapdragon AR2 Gen 1. And I mean, as far as, as these kinds of headsets go, the reference design is comparatively thin and normal-ish looking. I mean, I've seen some of these things. In fact, Qualcomm also showed off its first prototype, the XR2-based. Uh, that's I think that's the one you're looking at right now, uh, based on the Snapdragon uh, XR2 Gen 1 processor. This was like last year. And it's, you know, tethered with wires uh, to a phone and to a, bat a battery. It looks looks far nerdier by comparison you know definitely looks a lot more like technology on your face which is not to say that the niantic um prototype running the latest snapdragon ar2 gen 1 doesn't look like technology on your face but it does and 
Yeah, and if you go down, you start to see kind of the more modern version. This video kind of shows you a little bit of what you could expect looking through it and what it looks on. And it's by no means there, but there is progress being made. The the, the glasses that we see in this uh, in this video they clearly look better than the way these kind of things have been specced out even five years ago, right? So we're heading in the right direction, but man, we've got a long way to go. And uh, I think you're absolutely right. Finding the um, finding the use case that, you know, again, pulls everybody in out of a, oh, that's interesting technology, but I have no need for it to, oh man, if I had this, it would do this for me for my life or it would improve this aspect or, or whatever. And man, I just feel like we are such a ways away from it, but I'm happy that companies are enthralled by it enough to continue developing. Cause that's just how you get there, you know? Yeah. Over time. I agree. So, I, I want, I want it. <laughs> want it regardless. So anyways, um, you know, I'll be curious to see, how uh, this progresses and uh, kind of what it leads to. Having a company like Niantic, they've proven themselves with Pokemon Go, with mm -hmm. uh, what was the other one? It was, why do I always uh, The Harry on Potter it? one? Uh, well, I guess it was Harry Potter 2. I'm more thinking of... Oh, oh the God, earlier one, it? right? The earlier one, yes. And I, the yeah. name escapes me. Ingress uh, or something like that? Yes, Ingress. Yes. Thank you. There we go. Ingress. But, you know, they proved themselves early on that there is fun to be had in the realm of of like uh, planetary augmented reality. I don't know, you know, like location based augmented reality. Yeah. yeah. So I'm happy that they're looking into this because they've they've always had kind of visions into what this could be that has differed from what a lot of other companies have have spent their time doing. So, who knows? maybe they're the ones. They could Google be the doesn't ones. own them anymore, so I don't know, you know, what that says about it. But anyways, all right. So let us take a quick break before we come back to talk about ID.me, which is back in the limelight this time for its unemployment fraud claims. Uh, before we get to that, though, I want to tell you about Code Comments an original podcast from Red Hat, which is bringing you this episode of Tech News Weekly. I have said it before, and I will say it again, and practically seeing it as you can hear me doing. Red Hat is such an incredible producer of podcasts. They take this so seriously. And one of my favorite things about uh, Red Hat's podcasts my favorite, one of my favorite things is being able to go to the website and look at the beautiful artwork, uh, the beautiful theming, the beautiful creations that they come up with when they are making these incredible shows. Uh, Code Comments is uh, the idea of looking at what is going on behind the creation of some sort of coding project. So, when you're working on a project, you leave behind a small reminder in the code that says, oh, this does this. Oh, I wrote this because it helps me check this. That's a code comment, and it helps others learn what it is that you were doing there so they can kind of quickly see, oh, right, I get it, and learn from you and potentially be able to you know, iterate on what you've created. This podcast takes that idea by letting you listen in on two experienced technologists as they describe their building process. There's a lot of work required to bring a project from the whiteboard all the way through to development. And frankly, none of us can do it alone. The host, Burr Sutter, is a red hatter and lifelong developer advocate and community organizer. In each episode, Burr sits down with experienced technologists from across the industry to trade stories and talk about what they've learned from their experiences. Uh, there is an episode with Ryan Loney, the product manager of OpenVINO developer tools at Intel. And this episode is a fascinating look at, uh, we, we hear all of these flashy things about AI and machine learning, right? And we see these, uh, you, you put it into, you put in a prompt and you get this ridiculous image out from it. But there's a lot of AI and machine learning that goes into uh, kind of the enterprise level of so many different companies. And Intel uh, with OpenVINO is uh, kind of, doing just that. They are working at the enterprise level um, where instead of working with these large data sets that we know about, um, you know, you, you get these huge data sets, you train your, uh, you, you train your AI against it. 
sometimes these companies need to have very specific um, sets of data and they need to use what's called an inference engine. And all of that kind of can come together to look for patterns and find specific data points that you wouldn't otherwise be able to find if you just fed the AI any kind of code. Um, so this works in uh, manufacturing, it works in medical imaging, it works in all sorts of things. Uh, in the case of like helping a doctor be able to find, oh yeah, this does not look how it should. Or in manufacturing, oh, uh, this dye process is wrong and that chip, if it goes out, is going to catch fire. All sorts of things where AI and ML can come into play but with uh, data sets that kind of have to be built on their own. So, I mean, that's just one example. Uh, the, the episode's called Bringing Deep Learning to Enterprise Applications. But uh, code comments, new episodes all the time. And with that comes so much fun stuff to take a look at. Episodes are available anywhere you listen to podcasts and at redhat.com slash code comments podcast all how it sounds code comments podcast all one word redhat.com slash code comments podcast so search for code comments in your podcast player and of course we will also include a link in the show notes and our thanks to code comments for their support of tech news weekly all right we are back from the break and now it's time to talk about a company that does things that aren't great. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Um, ID.me, anytime I see this uh, company mentioned online now, there's, you know, website, sign up and, uh, you know, use ID.me. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And the reason for that is because um, this company, uh, the IRS, uh, which, of course, is responsible in the United States uh, for the revenue of the country. That's IRS Internal Revenue Service, um, is responsible for processing our income taxes and a whole bunch of other things. And they had sort of redone their website to work with uh, ID.me so that when you uh, created an account, you used ID.me to create your account and to log in. And it had this facial match technology that was attempting to reduce fraud by taking um, either a video or a photo of you when, when you're in front of the computer and then comparing that video or photo to the documents that you upload to the service. So I would upload a photo of my, you know, driver license and then I would be looking at the camera and it would say, oh yeah, those two are the same. But in the case of uh, them not matching for whatever reason, because the AI process didn't work, then you'd be kicked over to a live video call with a human being uh, who would then look at the two and be able to verify that they are the same. Um, What's Happening now is that uh, the there are several House committees, right? I think a couple of House committees, um, the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Crisis and the Committee on Oversight and Reform have both uh, looked at to to ID.me and said, look, those fraud claims that you put out are baseless. They're inaccurate. They're incorrect. And also, it's not just that. But also the company, um, these committees are holding the company responsible for delays or entirely uh, losses of uh, relief, unemployment relief from uh, the government during the pandemic. So let's dig into this a little bit. Um, I I do want to note that the IRS now doesn't use the ID.me facial verification service for its accounts because... They there was backlash from a bunch of privacy groups who were like, let's not do this. And also, uh, even aside from privacy groups, you've got a lot of disenfranchised folks who may not have access to broadband Internet, may not have access to a computer regularly or a phone regularly and can't make use of this complex service, Um, which is something that has to be kept in mind whenever you are such a big company. So um, firstly, the CEO of uh, the company, of ID.me, uh, tweeted in February of 2022, so February of this year, and uh, talked about 
the fraud for unemployment. And it's important to note that there was, as there always is, some level of fraud uh, for folks claiming unemployment uh, based on these committees doing the research and looking into it. But the ID.me CEO said that there was, quote, as much as 50% of all unemployment monies lost due to fraud. Uh, the committee said that there's no evidence to support that there was that half of all of the unemployment claims paid were fraud. And what they also found um, is that the figures reviewed by the committees were nowhere near as high as ID.me's figures. Uh, the company said that they were... So, so the company claimed 10 times more fraud than the $45.7 billion in potential fraud that the Department of Labor Office of Inspector General found. So the office, uh, the Department of Labor Office of Inspector General did find $45.7 billion in potential fraud, but ID.me's uh, CEO and the company claimed that it was uh, 10 times higher than that. And wait, wait till you hear this part. The committee's reached out to ID.me and said, hey, we need you to give us links or, or, or you know, PDFs, whatever. We need you to show us where you're getting this information from. Show us your work. Where do these claims come from? Show, yeah, show us your work. So they handed over, and I want to be clear here, I'm just telling it exactly how it is. They handed over um, data from a company or from a foundation called the Heritage Foundation, which is a right-leaning uh, think tank foundation uh, that, that you know is collecting data on this. So take that as you will. That, I think, is not even the, you know, the, the, the biggest concern here. When the committees looked into the data that the Heritage Foundation had that ID.me used as its response to the committee saying, this is where we got the data, do you want to take a guess where the Heritage Foundation got their data? I'm, I, ID. I, I, ID. Me. Yeah, I knew that because I'm staring at it. I was yeah. like, "Do you want me to answer?" Because I know the answer. <laughs> they were quoting themselves. Ah, uh, don't you love it? It's true because it's true. Yeah, it's true because I said it's true. <laughs> and so there's first of all, um, what the committees are uh, sort of accusing ID.me of doing is making these claims and saying that this is a factor and striking up this fear, uncertainty and doubt, FUD, for the purpose of driving up business for them. Because the idea is there's all this fraud out there. We can help you get rid of that fraud and make sure that you, uh, you know, local like state governments and municipalities um, can avoid this fraud by working with us to keep that fraud from happening. And so that all on its own is not great, <laughs> but then it's doubled because uh, the committee was also looking into the process um, for folks who were uh, looking to get the unemployment and other um, like the, the, the different financial uh, help that existed during the pandemic for different reasons. And it turned out that in some places, so, so I mentioned earlier that, you know, you upload your, your file and you do the little video thing and then it looks and it sees if the two are the same. And if not, then it kicks you to a human. Well, in some cases it would take uh, four hours for a human being to be available uh, for a video call. And in uh, other cases, it could take as much as 10 hours. Some people said that it took 10 hours for them to be able to uh, actually speak with an individual and have that process confirmed. Because ID.me did not have enough human beings in place to do that secondary process. Um, so this was a, a more than six months long investigation that the House committees uh, launched in April and have gone through uh, from that point until now, just now releasing this information to talk about why um, these 
these non-government companies should maybe not be used uh, as identification, uh, particularly whenever you have uh, lots of folks who aren't able, you know, I think about a person who doesn't have just internet at their home or who has a job they have to get to and can't sit in front of the computer for 10 hours waiting for someone to show up. And again, in the case of like being in a public place, are you just supposed to wait at the library uh, in front of this computer for the next 10 hours until someone can say, yes, you are that person. And yes, you can get unemployment benefits or whatever the process happens to be. So it, um, I think, is is turning out to be a rather damning report uh, from these subcommittees. And I think we'll continue to see, Gizmodo was the one that I came across, but I think we'll continue to see several um, outlets covering this because, uh, yeah, ID.me was, I think at one point, a bit of a darling, <laughs> uh, but is quickly falling from that place, uh, from from that role where they are maybe not uh, a good company to be using for, um, for, for the government rather to be using for authentication and identification. Yeah. I remember seeing ID.me before all this went down and never, never kind of gave it a real second thought until suddenly there we go. We had reason to, and suddenly they became the villain really fast (laughs) for, for obvious reasons. Uh, not to mention like, if you're if you are in line to get benefits, you if you are entitled to receive benefits, mm-hmm. tying that into a biometric authentication system just seems rot for abuse and not not good stuff. So, you know, for especially for for the especially for the communities that you're talking about, the the you know the the not white you know, community that um, can really be taken advantage of to a large degree as a result. Yeah, many disenfranchised communities are kind of at the root of this for sure. Uh, In fact, the the last thing I'll do is quote uh, from the piece. Well, of course, now I've lost it. Um, Pew Research Institute. uh, Pew Research shows that the folks who don't have access, and I think you hear this and you go, well, yeah, but people, uh, whenever they don't want to believe something may sometimes be led to believe something if they have data. Um, the people who tend not to have smartphones or broadband internet are also the people who come from low income and rural Mm -hmm. communities. And it was in fact, the 10 hours was in, um, one of our lowest, uh, uh, lowest populated states, if I remember correctly. I think it was Montana. Um, But I'm trying to find that now. Uh, Where was that? 10 hours. Anyway, yeah, it was was a a pretty lowly populated state. And uh, that is because of, you know, these rural communities where they were not able to have that, uh, perhaps have that requirement of internet broadband or, or bandwidth rather mm-hmm. that lets them do video uh, to be able to confirm their identity. So just not mm-hmm. a good look. North Dakota. Was it North Dakota? Yeah, maybe it was North Dakota. Yeah. 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 I think it was North Dakota. Yeah, it is. There we go. Those uh, quote, those weren't even the worst cases during the, that same month in North Dakota, people seeking unemployment benefits reportedly had to wait an average. I'm sorry. It was an average, an average of, of 10, 10 hours, hours. an average of 10 hours. Wow. Wow. Uh, everyone should go wow. read this Gizmodo piece so that you can yeah. get the nitty gritty details. Because of course, I'm just giving a high level kind of uh, recount yeah. of what's uh, yeah recount of what's going on there. Cool. Well, thank you for that. We've got more coming up here. In fact, um, I don't know if you've ever been an Evernote user, but I still am an Evernote user. Oh, for to this what day. Reason? To this day, wow. I still use Evernote for certain very specific things. But uh, Evernote has a new home. And, uh, you know, is it is this new home actually going to bring users back as as could be, uh, you know, explained by Micah's astonished <laughs> reaction to me using Evernote? <laughs> well, we're going to talk to somebody else who uses Evernote, too. And that's Devendra Hardwar from Engadget. But first, this episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by Podium. If you own a small business. You already know that the past few years have been really hard on business in general, especially small businesses from supply chain issues to increased demand on top of everything else that business owners have to manage. The businesses who are actually thriving right now are the ones that are forward 
thinking. And Podium helps your small business stay ahead of the curve with modern messaging tools that make it easy for your customers to connect with your business so you can stay connected where they already are. A lot of people hate calling a business, right? Getting on the phone and actually calling and talking to someone. Maybe it's the plumber or a landscaper or having to play phone tag. Oh, I hate that. Uh, you know, a lot of people would just rather send a quick message because we live so much of our lives in messaging right now. Why not with the businesses that we're interacting with um, as well? So if you're running a business and the only way to get in touch with you is a phone number, you may actually be losing people. Almost certainly you are. Well, Podium gives businesses the tools to compete with a convenience offered by bigger businesses uh, like Amazon. I know when I get a text message, you know, no matter who it's from, I'm opening it. I'm reading it. Sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes I'm getting a, a message from a business and if there's really valuable information in there, and by valuable, I mean like, you know, like Leo likes to throw around the free ice cream thing. Like that'd get me every time if I, if I opened up my, my text messages and found a coupon for a free ice cream. So it's really powerful and it's, it's almost, almost guaranteed to be seen versus all these other messaging, uh, avenues that we've just grown accustomed to kind of ignoring. Uh, we don't do that with text message from healthcare providers to plumbers. Over 100,000 businesses are texting with customers through Podium. While customers love the convenience, businesses love the results. One car dealer sold a $50,000 truck in just four text messages. How's that? A jeweler sold a $5,000 ring and coordinated curbside pickup all through texting. And then a dentist sent out payment requests, had some, you know, payments that they were waiting for, sent that out through text, received 70% of their outstanding collections in just two weeks. With Podium's all-in-one inbox, you can do even more than just chat. You can get online reviews uh, by sending an easy-to-use link. You can collect your payments faster from anywhere, send marketing campaigns that actually get a response. All of this done by sending a quick text. See how Podium can grow your business. You can actually watch a demo when you go to podium.com slash twit and see it in action. That's podium.com slash twit. Podium really is cool stuff and you want to check it out for your business. Podium, let's grow. We thank Podium for their support of Tech News Weekly. All right. Evernote has had a tumultuous life over the years. Once it was on the top of the world, uh, as far as, a, you know, note taking apps are concerned, everyone loved it. It was even valued at a billion dollars once upon a time. But after a series of layoffs and changes in leadership in recent years, the company is now about to undergo another major transition. And uh, so I thought we'd talk about it. I have I have particular interest in this because I do still use Evernote for very specific things, which we, which we can talk about. But joining me to talk about where it's headed and why he's still using Evernote is Devendra Hardwar from Engadget. Welcome, Devendra. Hey, guys. What's up? It's good to see you. Thank you for hopping on this show. Appreciate it. Um, you know, Evernote has has gone. It, it's been kind of a roller coaster ride. It was on the top of the world, and I think you know. I mentioned it just a few minutes ago, and Micah kind of kind of laughed in response. Right? <laughs> How dare you, Micah? I know. To a certain degree, Evernote has kind of become a little bit of a punchline in and of itself. I think be, partially because it was once so supreme, and now it's hard to know what it is anymore. I mean, looking looking back at its history. What are the things that really brought it crashing to earth based on the high of highs that it was at years ago, in your opinion? It's a, it may be a lot of hubris or something like that. Um, it was one of the first big mobile apps. Uh, I believe it was like it, they, they launched around 2008. They were one of the first app store apps. And um, I, I think they kind of invented the idea of note taking on demand. You know, yeah. just save whatever you want. You could do web clips. You could do whatever. But it rose with the the rise of the smartphone. And um, it was something I think a lot of people just ended up relying on. They also had some good marketing, too. So I think, like, when I started being a tech reporter, it was one of the things I started using. I just never stopped. It was so useful to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, um, it's, you know, 14 years uh, and running as an independent company. Now it's being bought by another company. Uh, what what makes this such a kind of a, a telling moment for where Evernote is at this point in time? 
for the for the next stage of its life. I, I yeah, there know. we go. That's probably. A I, I think it's the, that's the main thing. Like this was an independent company for so long. Um, there have been a lot of rivals. Uh, Microsoft has had its OneNote product for a while too, and Fnet has just stuck it out. They they struggled. They remained independent. But now the fact that they're being bought by this developer, which honestly I have never heard of. It's one of those things where I'm like, huh, I don't, I don't know about this. And also, I don't know about having all of my, you know, so much of my reporting data and things like that in here to this company that I don't know. So I feel like, question. yeah, there, there's, it opens a lot of questions. I feel like as an independent company, I knew Evernote enough to, to vaguely trust them. And, you know, I've read about their security and stuff. And I've talked to the many CEOs that they've had. Um, it felt like they were trying to do their best as a standalone company. But now that they're part of this other thing, I have no clue. But to me, that's a big sign to be like, oh, I, I got to jump ship somehow, finally. Yeah. Oh boy. Okay. Well, then I'm happy we had this conversation because that yeah. is a really yeah. good point. So, so uh, bending spoons is the name of the development uh, yeah. company, and no shade to uh, bending spoons. Uh, I'm sure they're they're a good app company. You know, sure. But but I'm curious. Like, what what else do they have uh, going for them? Like, what are, do are are there other apps? <laughs> the kind of apps like, oh yeah, I've used that. Oh, everybody knows that app. Or is it just like random development company? Yeah, that, that's a little. They concerning. seem like they um. So they've really made their mark with a couple uh, apps. Um, there's a video editor called Splice. There's an AI image editing tool called Remini or Remini. Um, it seems like those are the big ones. They have a fitness tool as well. I've never heard of any of these, but this company yeah. has also raised a ton of money. According to Crunchbase, it was like uh, close to three hundred million. So pretty much like I think Evernote's last uh, last number was like over three hundred million. So they have raised money. Clearly, I think people are buying these things. So like they they have a modicum of success. And these apps they look nice. They look very polished. They're all very like specific um, use cases, right? It's it's one app to do one thing. Yeah. The other yeah. thing that worries me is that. Evernote was supposed to be the the Omni app, right? It was supposed to do so many things all at once. It was basically going to be your second brain. That's kind of what this company has always been pitching itself as. And that's how I've used it. You know, every every little thought I have, anytime I need to work on something uh, for a review or for a news post, I pop up with a new Evernote note. If I'm out in the field talking to people, I'm jotting down stuff in Evernote uh, on my phone or I have the audio recording open. I have that being saved into an Evernote audio file. So it's a thing I'm always using. Um, it was my second brain for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so. Okay, so you've been uh, definitely one of the power users, let's say, of Evernote. Sure. I've been paying over, for it forever. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and as as have I. It's really hard. It's going to be really hard for me to transition away too. What yeah. has kept you Evernoting? Is it just that you had everything in there, and it's an easy, it, like it's a system and a process that you're just used to at this point? I know for me, that's kind of part of it. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah. I already know how to use this. I've got so much stuff in there. Like, how do I transition to something else? Is is that same for you or? It's uh, I mean, that's part of it. Moving is going to be a huge thing. Um, but also I've looked at the alternatives. Like every couple of years, I look at things. I looked at uh, OneNote for very, very hard a couple of years ago too. Like Evernote had a whole thing where they were raising prices and there were like security issues that people were concerned about. Yeah. Um, right. Where I started to rethink it as well. And the CEO, they kind of backed off on the security stuff. Um I feel like I could have trusted Evernote. That's why I kept using it. But I've tried OneNote on and off. It's very nice. It's a very general thing. But I hate I hate the way, literally, that OneNote um, handles notes. Just entering text into OneNote is like an infuriating thing because you have to like put in a text box and it's, it's like one piece of media a OneNote file is expecting in addition to everything else. And I just want to I want to just start writing. So for me, mm. that interface just seems infuriating. I know there are ways to transition to OneNote. There are other apps out there. But I stayed because they got better. I talked to the company. I felt like I could trust them. And um, that was the main thing. Like they got the apps used to be so unstable. Thinking used to be really difficult and annoying. And it got good to the point where I could just not think about it anymore. I could do my work. I could be on Evernote on my work Mac, on my home PC, on my iPhone, on an Android I'm testing with. And It's all like very interchangeable and that sort of fluidity is something I never really found with other apps, too. Yeah, that's that's my big my big question. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you're you're in the midst of of trying to figure this out, too. If it's not one note, 
what the heck is it? I've been using the, like primarily what I've used Evernote for, um, you know, for year after year after year is it's where I throw any musical like ideas that I have. Sure. You know, I record, record an audio clip, associate it with a note, all of the, you know, any of the associated lyrics or ideas or multiple audio clips that fill out that musical idea. They all go into mm-hmm. a single note and like having to like recreate the wheel when I have a system that works as well as it does with Evernote is is the big challenge for me. Um, so I don't know if it's not one note. I don't know. I'm, I'm there. I will are, be waiting there are for you to write things. about it. <laughs> I um, so I know other folks have written. I think The Verge had a piece a couple years ago too. So people, yeah. I think the people who rely on these apps are like so. We're we're a hardcore bunch. You know, we're dedicated to the one app we know, and yeah. changing is just hard. It's one of those really difficult things. Um, there are new things like uh, Notion. Notion is an app a lot of people have pointed me to. It's more like a simple database, but it can take notes. There's also Simple Notes. I think that's the name of it. Um, and it, it's a similar thing. It's like a slightly more evolved uh, note-taking app. None of them quite do everything Evernote does, but I have to do some more digging. I feel like Notion may be the thing, and maybe for you too, um, for it to have more of a, you know, to have more of a, database happening like to be able to sort your files and everything when it comes to the the feature set like what do we know about what evernote is working on and i guess now as they transition into this (laughs) bending spoons um relationship maybe it becomes less or more important but are there any new features on the horizon that make this more of a have to try out again or give or might possibly incentivize people to take a look? Again? I don't I don't think so. Like for me, I wasn't even waiting for new features. I just wanted like a more polished, yeah. stable system. Yeah, right. Uh, but the, the current CEO, Ian Small, says that they're currently testing collaborative editing uh, in notes between multiple users. And I have to look at that and roll my eyes and be like, is this uh, 2008 or whenever Google Drive yeah. launched and Google Docs launched? Like we've, we've right. been here for a while. They're also going to be launching um, deep Office 365 calendar integration, which could be really useful, too. Um, but again, not not I, I don't really need new features. I just want to be able to trust this company that you'll stick around, that you'll keep my data safe and you will sync uh, quickly you know, and securely. Um, so, no, these new features aren't really compelling to me at all. And then hopefully there's an easy way to transfer data out if if and when mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is you know the the space or the the place that you find yourself that'll be the I, challenge I hear, for me as well. I hear there are a couple of ways to do that and a couple of tools to do that too. So I feel like any existing note taking app would want to have a good path for Evernote users to move over. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one would hope. One would hope. Well, cool. Well, thank you for uh, hopping on for a few minutes to talk to us about Evernote. No and uh, who knows? Maybe maybe the features will uh, will keep some people around. But I, I think I'm kind. Of, it sounds like you and I are in a very similar position where it's kind of like, eh, oh, absolutely. Maybe it's. Time I feel to like all, all the power elevate. users are like looking at this and just thinking, I. This is probably the sign I need. I know uh, someone in TechCrunch also wrote up like pretty much a eulogy for tech for Aww. Evernote. So Aww. it's kind of the same deal. Yeah. I yeah. hope it I hope it sticks around but I need to find a safer spot. Yeah, yeah, fair enough mm-hmm. and I totally agree. Uh Devendra Hardwar uh writes of course for N Gadget. Thank you Devendra. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Have a good one. All right, you too. Take care. Later. All right. With that, we've reached the end of this episode of Tech News Weekly. We do this show every Thursday at twit.tv slash TNW. That's actually our show page on the web. If you go there, you can find all the ways to subscribe to this show so you don't need to uh, you know, go to the site and play per episode. Or I mean, you could go to YouTube and play per episode, or you could just subscribe and all the magic is done for you. That's, that's why we do it that way. So check it out, twit.tv slash TNW. I am now curious. Oh, yeah, I guess I never, I don't know why, but I never noticed it's lightly tan um, or like gray slash tan. I always thought it was white, the Twit page. So this is just completely changing everything for me. Um, <laughs> I'm having, I'm having the, what is it? The Berenstain Bears moment. Um, <laughs> Mandela effect. Anyway, right, right. Uh, if you'd like to get all of our shows, sorry, now I've got to recalibrate everything. If you'd like to get all of our shows ad free, we've got a way for you to do that. It's called Club Twit. Twit.tv slash Club Twit for seven bucks a month, starting at seven bucks a month or $84 per year. You can join the club and support us directly. So the idea is that because you're supporting us directly, then the advertisers aren't playing a role in those uh, versions, so you get the show ad-free. Uh, but we don't stop there. We continue to add value to this 
$7 a month, $84 a year subscription. You can also get the Twit Plus bonus feed that has extra content you won't find anywhere else and access to the members-only Discord server, which is a a place where you can go to chat with your fellow Club Twit members and also many of us here at Twit. And it just keeps getting more valuable because you also get access to the Untitled Linux Show, which is a show, as you might imagine, all about Linux. You get access to Paul Therott's Hands-On Windows show, which is a short-format show that's all about tips, tricks, and everything in between regarding Windows, and access to my show, Hands-On Mac, where I talk about all things Apple and give you tips and tricks. The episode that will be coming out a little later today is about emergency SOS via satellite. Uh, I gave it a go and talk about what you need to know regarding the feature. Uh, so all of that is yours by joining Club Twit. Uh, again, starting at $7 a month, uh, $84 a year. We had some people who said, hey, $7 a month is not enough. I want to pay you more. We said, really? That's great. Okay. <laughs> and <laughs> increase the subscription from there. Uh, if you want to follow me online, I'm at Micah Sargent on many a social media network. Although on Mastodon, I'm at Micah Sargent at Mastodon.social uh, or <laughs> Mastodon.social slash at Micah Sargent. It's confusing. Um, or you can find uh, many of the places I'm most active online by heading to chihuahua.coffee. That's C-H-I-H-U-A-H-U-A.coffee, where I've got links to the places I'm most active. I need to update the site with my Mastodon, I'm realizing. Yeah. Um, you can, yeah, you can uh, check out my show, Hands on Mac, a little later today, again, by becoming a Club Twit member. On Saturdays, I record the radio show hurled, Heard Round the World with Leo Laporte. That's the Tech Guy radio show, where we take your questions on air and answer them. And on Tuesdays, uh, iOS Today with Rosemary Orchard. Jason Howell, what about you? Well, if you're still on Twitter and you want to find me there, I'm at Jason Howell, uh, Mastodon, and let's see if I can get this right, twit.social slash at Jason Howell. It's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. It's it's hard to just like, it's so much easier to just say at Jason Howell. I wish that it was that easy for Mastodon, but hey, they're not the same thing as Leo continues to say. So expect some uh, subtle differences there. Uh, So you can find me in both of those places. You can also find me doing all about Android every Tuesday, twit.tv slash AAA. And just want to give a big thanks to Anthony Nielsen behind the scenes, uh, pushing lots of buttons in the studio. Also, big thanks to Burke uh, for helping us do this show each and every week. And a huge thank you to you out there listening, watching, chatting, whoever you are. Thank you for keeping engaged with this show. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll see you next time on Tech News Weekly. Bye. Bye. Hey, we should talk Linux. It's the operating system that runs the internet, but your game consoles, cell phones, and maybe even the machine on your desk. You already knew all that. What you may not know is that TwitNow has a show dedicated to it, the Untitled Linux Show. Whether you're a Linux pro, a burgeoning sysadmin, or just curious what the big deal is, you should join us on the Club Twit Discord every Saturday afternoon for news, analysis, and tips to sharpen your Linux skills. And then make sure you subscribe to the Club Twit exclusive Untitled Linux Show. Wait, you're not a Club Twit member yet? We'll go to twit.tv slash club twit and sign up. Hope to see you there.